So ever since I was a little girl, I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something big. I always wanted to change the world is what I would say and have a, have a big impact. I uh, didn't know exactly what that would look like. I explored a lot of different avenues. Um, but when I took really a, a deep and honest look at the intersectionality of a lot of the world's biggest problems, climate change, disease, animal welfare, um, I realized that industrialized meat production is really at the epicenter. And when I realized that, it became clear to me that the most effective way to bring about the most positive change in the world would be to make real meat uh, without the animal. That's Perendi Birdie, and this is the Reed Planet Podcast. Hey guys, perhaps some of you noticed that I've changed the intro music. I got some feedback that it sounded like angels singing sort of a hallelujah song, which obviously I just couldn't ignore. So I've worked hard on making my own mix. Hope you like it. Today I sit down with Perendi Birdie, who's a super cool, highly purpose-driven woman. Her life's work is all about finding out how we as humanity in a more sustainable and healthy way could be growing meat and animal fat without the animal itself. Along her journey, she got herself a degree in biochemistry with the aim of building the industry of cultivated meat. And she became a scientist at one of the hottest food startups in Silicon Valley. That journey has led her to where she is today, a company called Mission Barnes. With livestock as one of the most significant contributors to today's most serious environmental problems, the uniqueness of Mission Barnes' business is really how to grow animal fat outside of animal bodies, thus creating a way more sustainable and actually also healthier product than conventional meats. It might sound like science fiction, but it's not anymore. Together with Perendi, we dive into why Mission Barnes has chosen to focus on cultivated fat, which has a huge potential to scale and create a true dent in the universe, and how they do this without slaughterhouses and occupying vast amounts of land, but instead in something that looks pretty much like a beer brewery. Well, I'm not going to give it all away, so let's dig into it. Hi Perendi, thanks for joining the Replanet podcast. Nice to have you. Thank you for having me, Jacob. It's an honor to, to be here. Wonderful. How, um, how, where, where in the world are you today? I'm in Sweden, so I guess this is a cross-Atlantic call. <laughs> yes, I'm in beautiful, sunny California, the Bay Area. It's a gorgeous day here today. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think a good place to start this would probably be for, for listeners who don't know about Mission Barnes and, and don't know about you. Mm -hmm. um, I, on your website, you make this statement that, um, which I think is pretty cool, a better way to make meat without the animal. So could, could you explain what you mean with that and, and what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, definitely. So here at Mission Barnes, we make real meat without the animal. So we make genuine meat, the meat we all know and love that we've been having for generations, but just without animal slaughter. And we call that cultivated meat. And we do it by replicating the meat growth that happens in an animal and what we call a cultivator that mimics the animal's body. So to do that, we begin by taking a really small biopsy, something the size of like a grain of rice. We'll have millions of cells. 
we place that biopsy in a cultivator. And that cultivator, as I mentioned, mimics the animal's body. So it has the same um, temperature, humidity levels, oxygen levels, et cetera. We then feed the cells the same nutrients they would have on a farm, think salts, vitamins, sugars, water, et cetera. And the meat naturally grows just as it would in an animal. And the end product is identical to the meat we all know and love, uh, just made with a fraction of the resources and it's totally cruelty-free, really a, a win-win. Yeah. It's, and that, that it sounds pretty high-tech. How, yeah. how, how difficult is this? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's interesting because we're really not inventing and trying to discover how to grow animal cells outside of an animal's body. That technology is really established and has been around um, for decades. But what we're doing is applying it to a, a slightly different industry. So the, the cell growth itself, the meat growth, actually happens without any... Um, we don't need to do any kind of tinkering or changing. They grow, the cells grow naturally if you give them the right environment and the right nutrients. But our challenge as an industry is really focused on how to bring down the cost and bring up the scale. Mm, okay. Yeah. And you're based in Silicon Valley, is that right? That's correct, yep. Uh, yeah. how do, do you know how, how did the idea of Mission Barnes come about? Yeah, um, you know, we really see it as something that is uh, inevitable. So there's kind of two big things we see that are at tension with one another and there needs to be a big dramatic solution for. So one is climate change, of course. So the UN has pointed to so many studies, um, or connected so many studies pointing to the devastating toll of animal agriculture. Um, one that I think is compelling is they found that animal agriculture generates more greenhouse gases than the entire transportation industry combined. So imagine you add up all the world's cars, boats, trains, planes, et cetera, they'd still have a smaller carbon footprint than animal agriculture. Um, another one I think is compelling is just producing one single pound of beef uh, requires 1500 gallons of water and results in eight pounds of manure. It's really resource intensive. Um, and what that's really at tension with is the fact that um, the meat demand is growing dramatically. Um, UN estimates about, it will double uh, by about 2050. And so that's why we've seen a lot of these plant-based meat companies come up trying to address that problem. But what we see is that a lot of the plant-based meat companies are having trouble gaining market share because consumers consistently cite taste as a thing keeping them from fully adopting the products. And so kind of if you look at that all that together, it becomes a little bit um, obvious why we need a solution like this, making real meat without the animal. And so that's kind of why Mission Barnes was formed. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a no brainer. <laughs> I can yeah. hear it. <laughs> so we yeah. see it. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, how, how long time does it take to grow this meat? Because I guess uh, meat demand is still rising in the world and, yeah. and uh, speed would probably be, be one thing to, to uh, be competitive on. Um, so how long time does it take to, compared to conventional meat to grow this? Yeah, that, that's one of the big advantages of our process that it grows a lot faster and therefore uses a lot fewer resources. Um, so when you think about conventional meat, for example, um, you take a cow, it takes about two years from the time that cow is born till the time we slaughter them. Um, but with cultivated, it really just happens in, in a few weeks. If you think about it, we're just growing the meat that we eat. So we're not growing the entire animals. We're not growing 
um, a brain and heart and lungs and hooves and teeth and hair and all that stuff that just goes to waste. We're just growing the meat that you want to eat. So it's a lot more efficient and, and quicker that way. Yeah. Okay. Nice. That that's pretty clever. It's like uh, in the transportation sector where you uh, people go around, drive around in these big big cars, but it's yeah. in reality it's only you who who ha- should be transported. Not <laughs> yeah. Everything. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, as you already mentioned, um, I, I guess one of the leading hurdles for consumers to adopt a plant-based meat products are repeatedly cited as, as flavor is one of them. Uh, mouthfeel is another and meatiness is the third. I guess that's where your product really, really has the potential to outperform those purely plant-based alternatives. W- would that be correct? Yeah, exactly. So Mission Barnes has this unique approach where what we do is we produce just the cultivated fat. So let me zoom out for a second. So meat is composed of several different cell types or tissue types. There's muscle, blood, bone, connective tissue, fat, et cetera. And we focus just on producing cultivated fats. And so what we think is that that can really solve the the biggest hurdles of plant-based meat, which which are taste. And we've done countless uh, sensory panels and consumer studies where we compare a fully conventional meat product, a plant-based product, and our hybrid or blended product, which is a combination of a plant-based lean material, plant-based protein, plus our cultivated fat. And what we've seen is that we far outperform the plant-based product, and we get pretty close to tying with the uh, conventional product. And what that shows is that fat really is a thing that kind of drives flavor and can solve that plant-based meat problem. Mm, okay. Yeah. So uh, let's focus on, on you for a bit. Um, you're head of strategic partnerships at Mission Barnes. Uh, yeah. Explain to me, what is that? What is it that you do? Yeah, it's uh, the coolest job in the world. I love my job. I get to travel all around the world. Uh, meet with leadership at the world's largest meat companies and really help them kind of see the dream and vision of the future of cultivated meat. And when I started the business development division here at Mission Barnes, I literally just created a spreadsheet and reached out to 80, 100 of the world's kind of biggest meat companies. Um, And it was cool to see how the conversations quickly escalated where I would start by talking to kind of like an innovation manager of the company and it would escalate all the way to to C-suite members. And by now I've been, uh, I feel really lucky, I've been invited to the world's largest meat companies to meet with their CEOs, board members, um, owners of the company, and, and really get to see firsthand how they think about this and kind of feel how the world is changing. It's it's so um, so exciting to me to hear them say that they really believe that cultivated meat is the future and that it's just, it's inevitable for their businesses. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> just on, a, on a, a side question that popped up to me now is would, would, do they consider those companies, do they consider this to be, you know, growing meat as a technology so that they're actually switching technology for, for <laughs> growing the, the end product? Yeah, if I understand. Probably fall under the CTO or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good. That's a good question. I think they're trying to kind of figure out exactly where it's going to fit into their business. Um, But what they consistently say to me is that they understand that what they're doing right now isn't sustainable and it's not scalable. Mm. They're not going to be able to feed, um, you know, the growing population and meat demand with what they're doing today. And Mm. if 
and produce the same neat product that's potentially cheaper, cleaner, safer, doesn't have kind of the PR challenge, doesn't have, they have a lot of risk inherently in their process, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of um, disease outbreaks and things like that, which can be eliminated by this process. So to them, it's kind of like a win-win in all regards. And I think many of them see this as being the future of, you know, their entire meat production one day. Yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. The It has evolved into that already. Yeah. yeah. On a personal level, then, how how did you end up, end up in this space and what made you kind of realize what's at stake and, and what provided sort of the tipping point for you to to, to change perhaps some old behaviors and, and dedicate your, your life to this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ever I have amazing parents. So ever since I was a little girl, I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something big. I always wanted to change the world is what I would say and have a, have a big impact. Uh, didn't know exactly what that would look like. I explored a lot of different avenues. Um, but when I took really a, a deep and honest look at the intersectionality of a lot of the world's biggest problems, climate change, disease, animal welfare, um, I realized that industrialized meat production is really at the epicenter. And when I realized that, it became clear to me that the most effective way to bring about the most positive change in the world would be to make real meat Uh, without the animal. So once I realized that, I uh, started looking at a lot of different avenues about how you could do that and what I thought would be the most effective. And about 10 years ago, I learned about this idea of cultivated meat. Um, there was no no companies, no research really being done, but it was just this kind of crazy idea at the time. Um, and it, I was just so drawn to it. My It resonated with me in the deepest part of my my soul. And I changed my life around. Um, I got a degree in biochemistry, really with the goal of just trying to kind of build, build this industry. And uh, I was one of the first scientists at uh, Just, or now known as Good Meat, it was Hampton Creek at the time, and uh, really helped kind of build the team, the research program there. And um, Yeah, never looked back. I mean, it's my life's work. It's my life's calling, and I really want to see this see this all happen. Uh, it's super inspiring, Prandy. Yeah. So it was really a leap of faith uh, for you back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just feel like I kind of knew that this was going to be the thing that would um, change the world, which is what I always wanted to do. So yeah, I just kind of have always always believed in it and still do to this day. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> zooming back out on the on the um, the, the products, the the solution of cultivated meats, mm-hmm. uh, could you tell us a bit about the sustainability benefits of of this? Yeah, they're they're huge. Um, there's a lot of third parties that have done some research on cultivated meat to try to understand what those benefits would really look like. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of stats out there, but I would say the average numbers that I've seen are about 70% less land use. 90% less water, 75% less greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so they're, they're pretty dramatic savings that we would have. And again, that's several reasons for that. But I kind of think an easy, intuitive way to think about it is to think that we're just growing the meat that we're eating. Again, we're not growing the entire animal, which again is really resource intensive, takes a really long time, just growing the things that people want to eat, which is kind of naturally going to be more efficient. And I guess to really <coughs> unleash these mentioned sustainability advantages there are, you would probably need to scale your business 
pretty pretty much. So just in in that regard, I'm just curious about why is it that Mission Barnes has chosen to focus on cultivated fat as the sort of a, a really scalable solution? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's a great question. It's exactly kind of why we decided to focus on fat was that that scalability question. As I mentioned, um, there's about a hundred companies in the world, and none of them are really figuring out how to grow cultivated meat. That basic technology has been established for for decades, but we're really trying to figure out how to how to scale the technology. And so, with that key question in mind, uh, when we started the company, we did something that was pretty radically different than any other company, which, as you mentioned, focusing just on cultivated fat. And there's two key reasons for that. So one is on the sensory side and the second is on the technical side. On the sensory side, fat is really what drives flavor, as I mentioned. And so we realize that if we can add a small amount of cultivated fat to an otherwise plant-based product, you can really get a big boost on the sensory side and create these best in class products. So imagine you have a plant-based meat product. It's 90%, let's say it's a lean material, 10% cultivated fat. That's something that can scale a lot faster than needing to produce a fully hundred percent cultivated product. And that's really what enables you to get there because it has that characteristically meaty, uh, juicy, and mouthfeel and aroma and all, all of that good stuff that we are craving in meat. And on the technical side, there's a lot of advantages of uh, focusing on fat over muscle in particular. And if you think about it just intuitively without getting into too much of the, the science behind it, it's a lot easier for all of us to gain fat than muscle, right? And that's because of the way that fat cells are, are programmed in our bodies. They are designed to kind of take in all of the... Um, nutrients in the environment. They don't require exercise to grow. Um, The nutrients themselves that they eat are a lot cheaper. So they can eat kind of simple sugars and things like that, which all those things together translate to to scale. Wow. Okay. I feel privileged and stupid to (laughs) talk to a real biochemist like you about this. Uh, Thanks for enlightening me about that. Yeah. I guess uh, also, um, you know, this this podcast is called Replanet, and and the the uh, the reason for that is I believe that we need to rethink uh, a lot of things, how we do reimagine how we do things. Uh, we need to reeat. That's one of them. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, we need to create both a, a planetary but also people positive future. So <laughs> I think those two goes hand in hand. And um, so another important topic of this is, of course health people mm-hmm. human health and uh, foodborne illnesses and contaminants uh, which all come along when consuming conventional meats yeah. would your products have any positive impact on those metrics as well yeah it's a good question um, so one of the big contaminants that people talk a lot about in the meat industry is uh, antibiotics and antibiotics are are really interesting um you know, about in the U.S., about 70 to 80 percent of the antibiotics that are produced here are uh, not given to people, but actually given to, to livestock on these factory farms. And the reason why is that you can imagine you're packing in millions and millions of animals into these really small spaces, they're dirty spaces where disease risk is just inevitable. Um, there's a lot of kind of dirtiness that we tend to gloss over there. Um, Something that I, I'll never forget is when I learned that uh, chickens are contaminated with, I think, I think 92% of 
um, a chicken that we eat today has fecal matter on it. So it's just a really dirty process. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, we have cultivated meat, which is a really clean process. So if you want to kind of envision it, you can imagine what slaughterhouse looks like and cultivated meat is actually produced in something that looks much more along the lines of a, a beer brewery where you have these big stainless steel vats where the, the beer is brewed or the, or the meat is brewed. You can think of it that way. Um, and one of the big advantages is that through this process, we can really closely monitor what's happening inside of the cultivators um, every day, every minute, every second. And so we can really ensure that we don't have outbreaks of things like uh, swine flu, bird flu, mad cow disease, because you can monitor what's happening in the cultivators, which you just can't do in an animal. It's just impossible to do with the, the millions of livestock that we have out there today. So those are a few of the, a few of the advantages there. Yeah, you know, all of this sounds extremely clever, pretty, <laughs> like, a, like a no-brainer, as I said before. Uh, and, and I guess one might wonder, why don't we just replace all conventional meat with your solution <laughs> overnight? Uh, yes, I can definitely envision a world where uh, all, con all cult uh, conventional meat is displaced by cultivated meat. I can definitely envision that. Um, but it's not going to happen overnight, unfortunately. It's a, a new technology, um, and it's going to take some time to, to scale. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the short answer for, for me right now. It's going to happen, I think, uh, but it's just going to take some time for us to, to scale up as an industry. Yeah. yeah. And on the, on the other hand, what would be some of the main critics from your, from your proponents or skepticism from general omnivorous consumers or, or yeah. whoever? <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's a there's a wide variety of, of critiques, as you can imagine, in a kind of new up and coming industry. Um, so something that kind of just popped into my head is we recently did a consumer study um, where we asked consumers um, kind of about their products, their perceptions, their critiques. And every single person assumed that cultivated meat was going to be genetically modified, um, which it's just it's not our, ours is not in particular. Um, so that's just an example of kind of how misinformation can lead to, to critiques and, and, and fear, unnecessary fear. Um, that's kind of one thing that came to my mind. Um, there's some some vegans who don't want to have it um, because they think that we, we shouldn't and don't need to eat meat. Um, there's people who worry about um, jobs that would get taken away. And I think it's important to realize that as the industries change, as all industries change, that the jobs are going to look different. So I think many workers, for example, that are working in slaughterhouses today would probably prefer working in a facility. It looks more like a beer brewery. Um, so just kind of some unknowns about what it's all going to look like. Um, but no, there's not nothing, nothing too big and scary out there in terms of the critique side of things. <laughs> well, that's good. And I guess a lot of it is based on, you know, not having the full understanding and perhaps yeah. being afraid of the unknown. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So Perendi, last question for you, looking into the future, how are things going with Mission Barns today and, and what sort of cooking and what's your outlook for, for the future ahead of us? Yeah, uh, it's so good. It's an exciting time. We've had so much interest um, recently from investors and partners. We just moved into this big, beautiful, new 33,000 uh, square foot pilot plant. We're getting ready to launch our products. Um, there's just a lot of kind of optimism and good energy with Emission Barns right now, which is exciting. Um, recently closed a partnership with Silva Sausage. They're really well-known, well-respected sausage maker here in the U.S. Um, they supply kind of 
all over the country, Whole Foods, Walmart, Levi Stadium, et cetera. Um, we've done some cool taste tests, as I mentioned, where we're kind of comparing ours to Cultip, the conventional product, and it's scoring really well. Um, in my world, we're uh, making some great progress on some licensing partnerships where we would able, be able to scale internationally um, with some big meat company partners um, and we're hiring. So we're trying to grow. So if anyone is interested in working at Mission Barnes, reach out to me. Um, we'd love to have you join us on the team. What's the best way to get in contact with you? <clears throat> uh, good question. Um, let's see, what is the best way? Uh, you can reach me actually on LinkedIn. You can email me, perendi at missionbarnes.com. Either one of those would be, would be great. Yeah. Uh, I bet there are loads of people dying to, to, uh, to do that. Uh, you're on a, such a cool journey and mm -hmm. um uh, and i'm dying to try those products because i haven't um uh, are they available um already somewhere we're kind of in the final steps of everything on the regulatory side so we're we're already on our side just waiting the regulatory that we always kind of say internally the day we get regulatory approvals the day we're going to be on the market um, so we have kind of the partnerships and restaurants lined up but just waiting for regulatory um, in terms of europe i know you're sitting in europe um, we're talking to some partners there that um, currently have plant-based products and the idea there is that we would work with them to add our fat to make hybrid products for the European market. So we're, um, we're close there. We need to kind of finalize things uh, with partnership and regulatory, but soon, soon you'll definitely be able to try them. Perfect. Fingers crossed, Frendi. Thank you <laughs> so much for, uh, for joining and um, really looking forward to follow you on this, this exciting journey ahead. Thank you, Jacob. It was an honor to be here. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Wishing you all the very best as well. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good day. The Read Planet Podcast. 